Perhaps we could begin with uh, <clears throat> a humble acknowledgement that we are surrounded by many beings who are suffering in many, many ways. There seems to be war, disharmony, conflict, injustice, inexhaustible. And uh, I imagine that some of you, perhaps every one of you, wishes that there could be, that we could realize in our life, peace and harmony and justice for all. Some of you may wish for that. Some of you may vow to live for that. I wish for that. I vow to live for that. Peace, harmony, and justice for all. I could say that that's what drew me to Zen. That's uh, what drew me to Zen training that I had visions of people acting in a way that seemed to actualize justice and peace and harmony among beings, sometimes just between two, sometimes between three, and so on. Hearing and seeing these stories, I aspired to Live to live those stories of peace and harmony and justice. But I felt that even though I wished to, that I needed some training in order to be successful. And it became more and more revealed to me that the beings who demonstrated this activity of justice and peace, that those people, those beings, were mature fruits of a training process. They weren't just lucky to be able to be that way. They were people who wanted to be that way and trained to be that way. And by training for a long time, they became you know, a peacemaker, a harmony maker, a justice maker, or not even that. They became one with 
the process of justice and peace and harmony. And the training that these people went through was, is the training uh, of listening to the teachings of awakening, the teachings of the Buddhas, listening to them and practicing them. Even when we have this wonderful wish to live for the welfare of all beings, to live in a way that brings justice, even though we really want that and really wish for it, we have a, we have a kind of a, a, a hindrance, this kind of a hindrance to realizing it. And uh, one of the things that we usually speak of as the where we can locate the hindrance is in our ordinary <clears throat> egocentric consciousness. Everybody has an egocentric consciousness. It's normal. Uh, we, we sometimes say, we come by it honestly. <laughs> by taking birth, <laughs> for example, in a human womb, we, we, we receive this <clears throat> egocentric consciousness. A consciousness where there's an I, and where the things that appear there are deceptive, are delusions, appearances which are not real, but they look real. And this consciousness confines us and makes us biased, self-centered, egotistical, and hinders us from treating others justly unbiasedly, impartially, respectfully, unhinderedly, compassionately. What just popped in my mind was a, a little kind of a tableau of a TV program I watched when I was a kid called My Little Margie. And at the beginning of the show, the, the two main characters, which were Margie and her father, they each would speak at the beginning of the show and describe their life situation, in uh, their life relationship with each other, and they would conclude their description by saying, I've got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> This morning we had a service here. At the we at the beginning of the service, we acknowledged our ancient unskillful action. We acknowledged beginningless greed, hate, and delusion. We acknowledged it. In other words, we acknowledged that we have a beginningless 
karmic consciousness, a beginningless, deluded egotism. We acknowledge it. And acknowledging it is, in a sense, the first step. After we acknowledge it, then we can practice with it. And if we practice with it in certain ways, we will become free of it. Not getting rid of it, not hurting it, not killing it, not denying it, etc. But by practicing with it appropriately, we become liberated. And becoming liberated, then we can do justice to others and self. And then there can be justice and peace in this world. But every moment, this consciousness comes up, which is biased and egocentric. And every moment, it can be engaged with, with the teachings in a way to liberate it and remove the hindrances to justice. And these practices uh, are infinite, infinite practices of how to deal with, in our case, human egocentric consciousness. Other living beings have egocentric consciousness too, apparently. <laughs> and now the way they appear to have egocentric consciousness is not the way they really have egocentric consciousness. Just like the way others appear, other humans appear to have egocentric consciousness is not the way they actually do. But they do seem to. They appear to be. And we appear to also have egocentric consciousness. But we, we have it in a way that's beyond the appearance of the way we have it. And we need to open to the way it actually is to become free of it. Uh, dogs and cats are, I find, really easy to imagine their egocentricity. But I can also, I have more difficulty seeing it in um, banana slugs or, um, you know, worms. Not worms, not worms I can see. It. Anyway, <laughs> I can certainly see it in, in cockroaches. <laughs> Yesterday, I, I was doing some yoga upstairs and I touched the ground and I felt some kind of like, something kind of like, Kind of a hard, a hard uh, piece of something, and I picked it up, and it was a cockroach, <laughs> about <laughs> inch and a half long. And I was going to um, bring it down to show people here, but <laughs> I thought maybe they would be shocked, so I didn't. But now I'm telling you, <laughs> I haven't seen very many cockroaches in Houston Zen Center. It's quite clean here. But somebody put a cockroach. <laughs> this cockroach was uh, not alive. It was a it was a cockroach skeleton. 
but it was quite substantial skeleton. <laughs> I guess cockroaches have exoskeletons. <laughs> so the way they behave, they look like they have egocentric consciousness to me. And so I hope that our, our work on our egocentric consciousness will help us do justice to cockroaches and be in peace and harmony with cockroaches. So as I said, there's infinite practices to address our egocentric, deluded karmic consciousness. Today, I'd like to speak of it in a way that's often brought up in this particular tradition, which is speaking of it in terms of two aspects. But before I speak of the two, I could also mention sometimes it's spoken of in terms of three. Sometimes we speak of the practice as threefold. Ethics, concentration, and wisdom. You've probably heard of that one. This is a description of the practice which can address <laughs> egocentric consciousness and bring peace and harmony to the world. Another way is in terms of six. <laughs> Generosity, ethics, patience, diligence, concentration, and wisdom. But now I will speak to you in terms of two. Now, the two includes the three and the six, but I'm going to speak of today about two. And the two aspects are wholehearted, non-meddling with karmic consciousness. That's one aspect. The other aspect is wholeheartedly engaging in conversation with others. Those are the two. Wholeheartedly non-meddling with this deluded realm of bias and affliction that we, are, we, can be, we are aware of consciously. And the other is wholeheartedly conversing with others. Those two. One, the first one, is intra-psychic. It's inward. The other is interpersonal. Those two, together, liberate us from karmic consciousness, and liberate us from hindrance to our wish for justice. Another way that this is spoken of is that the first one of non-meddling with your karmic consciousness, we sometimes call that wholehearted sitting. Or another way we speak of it is wholehearted Silence and stillness. So, karmic consciousness, we've got it. Then, 
being with the karmic consciousness in silence and stillness, wholeheartedly be with it in silence and stillness. And silence and stillness, again, we're not meddling with anything. If greed comes up, we don't get try to get rid of it. We don't try to hold on to it. It is trying to hold on. Here we got some, we have the attempt to hold on has arisen in consciousness. We are silent and unmoving with it. Wholeheartedly. Generous, generous to this afflictive thing called greed. Hatred, if that arises, the same. We practice silence and stillness with hatred. Confusion, silence and stillness with confusion. Or just being wholeheartedly compassionate with the confusion in this, in this silence and stillness. This is inward work, which is part of becoming free, liberating beings from injustice. If we engage in this practice, then we become, we, with this karmic consciousness, becomes more and more pervaded with tranquility and ease and openness. However, the basic biased egocentrism is not removed by silence and stillness alone. But we need to be silent and still with our delusions in order to be free of them. But that's not sufficient. It's necessary, but not sufficient. It's necessary, but not sufficient. What more do we have to do with these delusions? Well, we need to meet others face to face and give them a gift. And the gift we give them is our world of delusion. We give them our world with all of its biases and distortions and limitations. And they give us theirs. And we listen to each other. And we respect each other. And also, that interaction is not enough. We need to do that conversation together with silence and stillness. We need that conversation to be liberated in silence and stillness. And we need to do silence and stillness in order to be liberated in, con with, in conversation. I think I first heard about this from the great ancestor, Ehe Dogen. And he says, basically, he said to penetrate body and mind, but I think he could also say, 
to liberate body and mind, there's two ways. One way is wholehearted sitting. The other way is going to the teacher and having a conversation about the Dharma. So his way of teaching it was in the context of Zen practice and working, students and teachers working together. But this practice is the paradigm or the prototype for all relationships. But maybe we start with people who want to work on this formally. So you, we go to the teacher from silence and stillness and discuss the Dharma. We discuss the Dharma and bring the discussion into silence and stillness, back and forth. And he says, you can't have one without, you, one without the other is insufficient, both necessary, but neither sufficient. But together, they are sufficient. These two practices are sufficient for peace and harmony in this world of injustice, war, and disharmony. Sometimes Dogen said that this face-to-face -face meeting, the Buddha way is none other than this face-to-face -face meeting. But that's kind of an abbreviation for the Buddha way is none other than face-to-face -face meeting in the context of silence and stillness. To meet face-to-face -face and not be practicing simultaneously silence and stillness, the meeting is not complete. Without the silence and stillness, we meet, but we also meddle with ourself and with our partner or partners. We fuss with ourselves and we fuss with others, and that hinders the wholehearted face-to-face -face meeting. Wholehearted face-to-face -face meeting means wholehearted, not meddling with our body and mind. So these two together. Wholehearted generosity inwardly. Wholehearted generosity outwardly. Wholehearted generosity inwardly, again, is being silent and still with your body and mind. Wholeheartedly silent and still with your body and mind, which we practiced earlier today. We sat in silence and stillness with this body and mind. Now we're talking with each other. I'm looking at you. You're looking at me. You're gazing at me. You're questioning me. I'm responding to you. But hopefully this conversation that we're having is I, I'm not meddling with you or me. I'm respecting me and you. I'm letting me be as much as I can, and I'm letting you be the way you are. 
so that you will be encouraged to be the way you are and let me be the way I am in this conversation. So this is speaking of the Buddha way of justice in terms of these two aspects. And these two aspects have been spoken of in different ways than I spoke about, but spoken of it with you. Another way to speak of it is samadhi and prajna, or concentration and wisdom. Those two. Or we sometimes say shamatha and vipassana. Tranquility and insight. We also speak of it in terms of Silence and illumination. Other ways that people have spoken of it during the last 2,500 years. So uh, maybe that's enough for starters. Is that okay? Should we, uh, what should we do now? <laughs> Silence and stillness, or wholehearted conversation. <laughs> I mean, should I? Should we continue to converse right now, or should we uh, have a um, a break? Up to you. Would you like to? Hmm? Or like, we could vote. <laughs> so, the abbot is suggesting we have an election. <laughs> what do you elect to do? You can vote for. It. Do you want to just keep going like this, or do you want to have a, some kind of a break? Five minute break. Five minute break, okay. or or not? Okay. How many people vote for a five minute break? Raise your hands. Okay. How many vote for continuing? Which side won? Tie. Was it a tie? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> 